Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. This is Zenith, that podcast where sentient hunks of rotting flesh try to take over the galaxy, because this week we watched Star One. And by Chris Boucher. Directed by David Maloney, allegedly uncredited. <laughs> and aired on April 3rd, 1979. Mm-hmm. Th- that might have been, and you know, I don't know the details about this, but David Maloney was a producer, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that dual role there, maybe this yeah, is some sort might, of loophole thing they had to go through. Right, they might not have credited him because he wouldn't be allowed to be credited as director if he's also producer of the show. Yeah. And it begs the question, though, why didn't they have someone else direct this story? Maybe they didn't have it in the budget. And they're like, we don't have, we don't, we can't pay, we can't pay another director. And David was like, I'll do it. Or maybe he like it was... stepped up with his hands on his, his hips like Superman, like, I'll direct this episode. Or maybe it was, and I'm kind of thinking it was this, more like the Doctor Who situation where he's like, I want to direct an episode, but I can't, but because I'm producer or something along those lines. Yeah, well, whatever it is, he gave us the best shot in all of Blake 7 in this episode, so. Which is what? Travis falling into the spinning vortex? Okay, no, but that's up there. <laughs> that's like, that's like second. Pretty sure the best shot is in Hostage, where you just get that wonderful shot of the 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 bushes. I really thought you were going to say the Keeper, where we get that close up on Jenna's eye. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was one of the most you know iconic, I guess. Not iconic, uh, but iconic. <laughs> oh wow. Are you referring to this shot that opens the story, where you get like this really great model of like a civilian ship? Yeah, this is this is basically just. This is the best model. It's not the liberator. This opening shot or sequence is kid in his playpen plays with model ships. I really liked this though. I thought the model work here was great, and like it was right up until the instant where they crashed into each other, and then it like uh, right, metaphorically like, and literally fell apart. That was like a split second. Come on. <sighs> yes. This episode also had a lot. And we'll get there because it's mainly at the end, but it had a lot of different models. And I was really surprised and pleased, I guess, with like how much deep, uh, forgetting the fact that it doesn't make sense that like there's the, this alien species ships look completely different one to the next, mm-hmm. but like just the amount of ships they had, how cool they looked and just the way it was all shot, I thought was great at the end of this episode, at least because mm-hmm. what happens now is right. What we explained, there's a civilian ship and another ship crashes into it. Yeah. And you're like, what's going on? And you're hearing the communications from like the civilian ship that's like, hey. Computers are malfunctioning, things like that. Things are going wrong. We're looking for someone to land, help us out, and then just kaboom. Yeah. And then zoom out to reveal this guy, Durkham, is explaining to Serverland that these ships crashed. And then he goes on like a completely different tangent from that point where he's like, okay, well, so those ships crashed, but now let's look at all these other things. This planet hasn't rained for 60 days. This well, planet has been raining continuously for 60 days. This planet completely frozen over. Well, this isn't a tangent because he he sort of posits to Servalan, you know, he's he, he asks her, what's the, the underlying commonality between all these planets? Mm-hmm. And Servalan says computers, right? And he says, well, yeah, computers, but specifically one computer, star one, is controlling all these planets and things are malfunctioning. Things are going haywire. Things are going completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And Servalan, you know, I think refuses to believe that star one there's something wrong with Star One, but there's also something else going on here, which is that there's a milit. If I'm remember correctly, or if I'm understanding correctly, there's a military coup going on in the Federation. Yeah, no. So it, it, the military coup doesn't happen right now. It happens the next time Durkin comes in. But Serverland refuses to believe that anything is wrong with Star One. One because it's Star One and no one knows where it is, and two because even if there was, they wouldn't be able to help because c.1 nobody knows where star one is there's there's also some interesting stuff that i'm guessing has to do with season two getting reshuffled and reordered where servalan like doesn't know that travis is heading to star one to, to screw everything up or yeah yeah or travis has gone rogue again again it's right. kind of like the mission impossible movies where every movie ethan hunt goes rogue <laughs> in every single movie so when they name the movie rogue nation you're just like okay but he, he's gone rogue in all of them so you know, then you're like is Ethan Hunt ever actually going to finish a mission well, for the IMF, or is he just going to rogue every movie? Well, or is it like one continuous story, or are they all like... No, they're all separate. So every that, time I mean, he, just, he just goes rogue. So that's just... So it's just like a re... They're basically all reboots of each other. I guess, but they're supposed to be continuous, because the, the other characters from movie to movie are like, Ethan, you can't keep going rogue, dude. <laughs> huh, that's weird. <laughs> then even the, new, the trailer for the new one is like... In the trailer of the new one, they're like, even make a point of this. They're like, 
Ethan keeps turning his back on the government and the government keeps turning his back on him. Like, how long until he attacks us instead? This is your 200,000th time going rogue and you've become exceedingly efficient at it. (laughs) I don't remember what iteration of the Matrix they were on in that line, honestly. It wasn't 200,000th. No. Anyway. Anyway, the Liberator crew is up to... No good. Parentheses, no. Close parentheses, good. (laughs) Well, so they're going to the coordinates, which are apparently in intergalactic space between, I guess, the Milky Way and Andromeda. Right. This, I think Callie is the one who says this is the farthest out point of the Milky Way. You know, they're wondering because it's so far out, they're wondering if Star One is even there. And someone says, if it is there, this is the farthest out humans have ever been. Yeah. And Villa also says in the greatest line of this episode... (laughs) We'll be able to know it when we see it, even if we won't be able to know it when we see it, because it'll be the only thing there to be able to be seen. And then Callie's like, shut up, Villa. And Villa's like, what did I say? I mean, he's basically right, though, isn't he? Like, if there is anything there... It has to be Star 1. It has to be Star 1. Well, so they go out there and they find a literal star with one planet around it, and then Villa's like, ah, Star 1. Well, this also goes back to the point that we made, I think, in in Series A of, like, Villa actually having some pretty good points from time to time, and the rest of the crew just being like, shut up, Villa, or, like, completely ignoring him. Well, then they're like, (laughs) they mention the minefield, and Villa's like, oh, maybe we should turn around. (laughs) And they're like, no, no, don't worry about this. But yeah, so basically what the situation here is, or what, what this sort of... Yeah, let's get the lowdown on the situation. <laughs> star 1 is a plan- It's on a planet that's orbiting a uh, star that's dying. Mm-hmm. And it looks... How it's shot, this planet looks like the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> Probably intentional. Star Wars was out by this point. By the time they even filmed the season, I think. Oh yeah, Star Wars was star Wars, out. Star Wars is out. Star Wars came out like a week after the first episode of Blake 7 aired in the UK. Came out like six months or so before in the US and elsewhere probably. So early enough that it was out before season series B was even filmed. So right. they would have easily been able to make a, a, a visual reference to it. Right. But there's there's also, they think this is the farthest point out that humans have ever been, but there's this minefield that's even farther out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they detect it. And they're like, well, that's kind of weird. Must be something. And Avon brings this up. He's like, if... Okay, Avon's explanation doesn't really make sense to me, but I kind of just bought into it for the sake of the story. But Avon was like, if you wanted to travel between the Andromeda galaxy and ours, this is the exact point you would have to go through. Like, every road between the two goes through this point or whatever he says. His explanation didn't make sense, but he implied that, like, the only way to get between Andromeda and Milky Way was to go through Star One. I thought he was just saying that it's since that's the quickest route... That's what people, t- because it would take so long to get from one to the other, that's basically what you would have to. And I think they actually mentioned this because he says, like, if it were possible, if it were even possible for a single generation to go to the Andromeda galaxy, mm-hmm. then they would want to go, you know, through this one because it's quicker or something. But later on, they, Avon's like, well, maybe they invented the intergalactic drive. And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. Avon's explanation, like, the way he worded it, just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But it's okay. I mean, it's... It wasn't I just, like I said, I just bought into it for the sake of the story. Yeah, but anyway, someone else, and I think it's Villa, also says that, the you know, the mines are, were either placed there to, as a precautionary measure, or, and I'm forgetting what they say, but like, they'd had, they possibly had contact with someone, you know... On the other side. On the other side, and they placed those as a precautionary measure, and I think ORAC actually examines the situation later or like hacks into some computer where he gets information and i think this is a bit later mm-hmm. where he's he, uh he says that they weren't just placed there as a precautionary measure or like you wouldn't necessarily just place them there unless unless there was I'm something there. like what this conversation actually is i don't really remember the specifics of it so i'm just gonna leave it at that okay <laughs> so blake lands but, there's but also before Blake there's lands, this actually. weird conversation between Blake and Avon, where Avon says that once this is all over, he's going to take the Liberator. Oh, yeah, Avon like, stages a coup of his own. Well, Blake says fine, but if you remember back to... Yeah, but he says, he, says, he says fine if everybody else goes along with it. And then Jenna says, sure. why would we go along with it? Right. So, so Jenna, as has been seen before, is you know more at least on board with Blake 
than most of the other crew members are. But also, if you remember back to, I think it was Pressure Point, where they had this discussion, and kind of the same discussion where Avon reveals that he wants the Liberator, and Blake is basically basically just like, over my dead body. Yeah. Well, I guess Blake just wants to destroy the Federation. Avon's like, I want to be free. And Kelly's like, you are free. You can leave whenever you want. And he's like, no, I want to be free of this, of him. <laughs> and he points to Blake. And Blake's like, you can go if you want. And then Avon's like, I want the Liberator. We destroy Star One. I'm dropping you off at Earth and I'm taking the Liberator. And Blake's like, yeah, if everybody else agrees, sure, why not? Maybe because Blake knows nobody else is going to agree to that. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Jenna's like, Jenna's like, when did you become a leader? And then Avon like just dodges the question and starts talking about Blake more. And then Blake just really <laughs> casually goes, are you going to answer her question? And that's when he says the whole thing about wanting to be free. Right. So anyway, Blake teleports down. And we get some, some establishing stuff uh, on the Star One base. Or at least one of the Star One bases. We can go back. We can kind of read this conversation with Avon, <laughs> Chris Boucher, and Paul Darrow going, I want, I want Paul Darrow to be wow. the main star of the show. Wow. Okay, let's be honest. Chris Boucher clearly wrote it so that Avon kills Travis at the end. Spoilers. Yep. For, for, yeah, I mean. Yeah, and I do wish Blake killed Travis, both because of their rivalry and also because of what's going to happen in Series 3. It wouldn't have even been that hard because Blake does shoot Travis. Yep. They could have just had him fall in with like on that shot. But, yeah, he, but then that, it's I mean, Avon comes in and saves him. That I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's what makes me think that Chris Boucher like wrote it. He, re- for he came Paul in and Darrow rewrote it because, well, I mean, Chris Boucher wrote this episode. Oh yeah, that's true. Because or, Travis could have easily just died right there; he could have just fallen. But then he gets back up, and then Avon shoots him as well, and then he falls and dies. Yeah, I wonder what Terry Nation, you know, thought of this because Terry Nation. Again, I'm hesitant to ever say that. In terms of a television show, one person created a character because there's things like writers, directors, even like actors. costume actors, cost even costume designers who go into the creation of this char- of a character. Mm-hmm. But like Terry Nation conceived Travis, right? He right. he Travis was originally meant to be in episode one, mm-hmm. you know, which is all Terry Nation basically. So I wonder how Terry Nation felt, and I wonder if he made any comment about not having Travis be killed by Blake. We can look it up yeah. for next week, maybe. Because I am curious to know what the, if there was any thinking behind specifically having Avon kill Travis rather than Blake. Uh, because Travis has really been Blake's enemy, the Moriarty to Blake's Sherlock. Well, we can discuss this more next week, I think, mm-hmm. when it'll become more apparent. The next episode's called Aftermath, and I think it'll become more apparent what the aftermath of this is next episode. I mean, yes, but I would argue that at this point they don't know what the aftermath is going to be right now when they've wrote and oh, filmed this Oh, I think this they do. I think they do. You think based, they do? Based on some very specific things that I know about the making some of Series 2? very specific spoilers that you know. Yeah, I think they absolutely know what the aftermath is going to be. So before Blake beams down, actually, we get Serverland's apparent military coup. But this isn't. But it's not led by her. She wants to capitalize on it. But it's going on elsewhere. I think it is led by her. Because Durkin comes in and Durkin's like, hey, I want to leave. And Serverland's like, no. And he's like, but the Federation wants me. And and Serverland says, as of right now, Space Command no longer recognizes the sovereignty of the Federation. Yeah, I th- the reason why I thought this was going on elsewhere is there's a, a line from her at the end where she's like, I won't be the president. I'm, I'm not going to become the president of a... Yeah, but she's she's like basically president already because as soon as Dur- as Durkin's leaving in this scene, he turns to her and says, "May I be the first to offer my congratulations, Madame President?" Yeah, all right, but I don't know. I feel like the chain maybe that's just the chain of command getting so foobard <laughs> that <laughs> that you know she's next in line or that she's going to step into power or something. I, I'm I'm not honestly sure who's right here, but. But yeah, anyway, the, this is actually him. also really yeah. weirdly done because it's really understated. Yeah. They never actually say that it's a coup, which I guess is just you know their you know political politi- politician talk or whatever. Yeah, well, I think it's supposed to be going on like in the background of all of this. I think yeah. it's not probably become more of a main thing next season. I suspect. Yeah, I think so as well. Serverland explains to Durkham about this lady. Lona, Lorna, Lorona. I forget her name. Sort of with an L. Lorena. Right, Lorena, because yeah. I thought it was Irina. Lorena. 
And Luina basically, Durkin had a thing with her of some sort. And she's really? on Star I thought he One. just was her. I don't remember actually what it was. It's implied. It was. He like denies knowing her, and Silverland's like, "Yeah, right. I know you knew her. You were both at the same place." And, mm. and it's like implied that he had something going on with her, and Silverland's like leveraging this to try and get Durkin to figure out where Star One is, because she stayed on Star One. Silverland reveals that while no one knows where Star One is, some people stayed on Star One to make sure that it was going to be maintained. And then I wrote a note down. I was like, "Wait, but what happens when they die?" Who's going to maintain I, Star 1 I, when they die? I just, I was under the impression that it was sort of a lifelong deal, right? Like, you agree to work on Star 1 and you're never coming back. No, yeah, I know. I know that. What I'm saying is what happens when they die, who maintains Star 1? Because no yeah. one knows where it is. So when they die, then what? I don't know, maybe someone higher up in the Federation knew where it was somehow and just wasn't leaking so, out information. Servaland was... Servaland doesn't know where it is. Servaland so. is literally Supreme Commander of Space Command. If she doesn't know, then no one in Space Command knows. Well, I mean, Space Command and the Federation are... Space Command... I don't... See, I don't know what, like, Space Command is in terms of... Is it, like, an entity within the Federation? Is it separate from the Federation? Well, I mean, this I episode sort of implies that it, it's a separate thing. I always thought it was, like, like Star Trek. Like, Starfleet was, like, the military or the... The spacefaring branch of the Federation. The Federation was the government, and yeah. the Starfleet was. Yeah, that's what I thought too. So but, maybe- Star- but you know, I always thought it was like like Star Trek. Starfleet was run by the Federation, or was at least under the umbrella of the Federation. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so I think Space Command in this episode breaks away and basically f- takes does over. the military coup and takes yeah. over. Maybe someone knows, and you know, maybe they're not leaking that they know. <laughs> you know, maybe. But they wiped everyone's minds, so... Yeah, I mean, you never know. Who knows? Anyway, apparently they, like, The fool psycho- obviously knew. Yeah, but the fool knew because Logan <laughs> knew, and Logan yeah. knew because he was wiping people's minds. Yeah, you know, you see, you never know how that information gets passed down. Damn, you're right. There's so many leaks, you can't even plug them off. <laughs> Better just to kill everyone. Yeah, it's I like that Travis. old saying... <laughs> it's like that old saying, if you want to keep a secret, make sure... It's, Only one person th- uh, knows three, about it. Or three whatever. people can keep a, three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. I think. Right. Anyway, Lorena is the only one acting at Star normally. One who right is acting normally, and she calls everyone else out on their shenanigans, having like tampered with the computer systems and whatever. And they're like, "We didn't want to have to kill you, Lorena, but now mm-hmm. we do have to kill you." And she pulls a gun on one of them and manages to escape. Right. And there's like a hide and seek match between them in the base which i thought was pretty cool yeah and then she finds she like hides in a room and she finds everyone else on the star base uh, star one but they're dead they're strung up she yeah like she finds the same cows people. and butchers yeah store yep she they're they're the same people she you know was working with but they've been dead for you know a while i didn't realize they're the same people till later when she explained it to avon I like huh. didn't realize oh, they were the same people. Yeah, because I rec- I recognize the old guy. Yeah, I didn't recognize easily. him at first. When she explained it, I was like, "Oh, okay, I see it now." Yeah, but that's all we get of that sort of plot thread for a while. No, but that explains why all the people are like outside when Blake and Callie and Avon land because they're outside and they capture Blake and Callie. And yeah, they're when looking- Blake and Callie get inside, they like see them go inside and capture them. Yeah, I don't know if they see him go inside, but they capture him. They're also they're looking for Lorena because they think she went outside. Yeah. So, so then Callie uses her telepathy to tell Avon that it's a trap, and that's all she uses it for. Yep. They think that Blake is Travis. For some reason. Well, because I guess they knew but, well, Travis okay. was coming. I was gonna say for some reason, but these are aliens from another galaxy, spoilers, so they wouldn't know what Travis looks like. Well, they do kind of know what he looks like because they go, what about your eye patch? Or like they go, what, which arm is fake? And Blake's like, uh, this one? They go, well, what about your eye patch? We don't see how Blake brushes off the eye patch thing because it cuts away and then it cuts back and they just accept that oh, he's really? Travis. So I, I imagine he came up with some cunning explanation about how he got his eyes fixed. I mean, Travis's whole reason for having an eye patch is because he wants it as like a battle scar. Yeah, so, but they don't know that. Yeah, they don't know that. So Blake could just be like, I want it as a battle scar. I wanted it as a battle scar, and now I then I now didn't I want it anymore. So, yeah. But you sort of get more info about what's going on. So these are aliens from beyond the Milky Way galaxy. They're from I the guess. Andromeda galaxy. 
Yeah, because on the ship, on the ship, Villa and Jenna, they have Orak man the teleporter, and then they have Orak look up information on this satellite field. And Orak basically explains that there's twofold purpose. The satellites are like detectors to detect ships approaching, but they also can destroy ships with like antimatter blasts. So they're like a combination minefield slash detection grid. Right. And Villa tries to brush it. They, they actually see some ships approaching the, the well, area. Orak brushes it aside. It's like, there's nothing to be worried about. And then later on, Villa's like, this is your fault, you hunk of junk. Well, you told us we had nothing to worry well, about. Villa's like, it's just a swarm of asteroid. Or well, that's later says. when the whole swarm shows up. But like at, when they first detect the field, Orak is like, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like The field will keep anybody out. And then <sighs> later on, when the ships are actually approaching... And Jenna sends the message to Serverland. We'll just explain this now. But Jenna yeah. sends a message to Serverland through the strategy computers in Federation High Command, basically telling them to send every available ship here because there's an invasion coming from Andromeda. And Orak's like, I wasn't built for this. And Phil's like, just do it, you hunk of junk. We're in this mess because of you because you told us we had nothing to worry about. And look at all those ships approaching. But yeah, he tries to brush it aside as asteroids first. Villa, when they show up in this scene. Because Jenna's like, look, here they come. And Villa's like, it could be asteroids. <laughs> Really big asteroids that are moving really fast, maybe. And they like stop right Please. at the edge of the field. And then Villa's like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, Blake is setting some charges. Literally just going to blow up Star One, which was their plan all along. But you got to, uh, we'll get to where when Blake is like lying, almost dying on the floor later. But so they're setting charges. I think Callie sets a few as well. So Avon, yeah, Avon gets into the base. Avon sees someone in a cloak walking, you know, towards the base, and it's Travis just decked out in a Jawa cosplay. Well, because Villa and, they're, and Jenna they're called see the, the Jawas, right? Yeah. Sorry, okay. They see the ship land, and they think maybe it's an advanced scout force from the other galaxy. It's Travis, but... And Avon makes the mistake of, like, bringing Travis into the base. Well, no, because he... Because Travis implies that he's there because they're expecting him, so Avon plans to use Travis to get... Right, but he doesn't know that like Blake is already posing as Travis, which is yeah. why it's a massive mistake to do that. Yeah, but there's no way he could have known. No, yeah, there's not. Unless Callie still. communicated it to him telepathically, but she didn't, so thanks, Callie. <laughs> you can tell him it's a trap, but you won't tell him that Blake's pretending to be yeah. Travis. Callie could just literally feed everything that's going on to Avon, and even Jenna and Villa, because her telepathy works over like huge distances, as we saw in Shadow. Yeah, but she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What if... I mean, we've touched on this before, but like... Callie could easily be working behind the scenes against them, like, throughout all of this. Yeah. I wonder if there's any, like, fanfics out there about that. They're, like, rewrites all of Blake 7 to have Callie be, like, a villain, like, working behind the scenes with her telepathy. Absolutely, there is. There has to be. I mean, I don't know. uh, There's not as much Blake 7 fanfiction as you would think. Well, then you can write it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It'd be really complicated. Yeah. But, I mean... You've written fan fiction before. It'd be better than that, probably. Uh, sure. Throwback I mean, to Lava Pirates. Look, I wrote Lava Pirates in such a tongue-in-cheek style to hide how, like, badly it was done. So... <laughs> yeah, if you don't know what I'm talking about, which you almost definitely don't, listener, dear listener. Dear listener. I wrote a Doctor Who fan fiction called Lava Pirates. You could listen to me read it over on the Trust Your Doctor feed. You can find the link on our website. Oh, God. Now that's out there to our Blake 7 listeners and, you know, knowledge. But whatever. I completely annihilated my throat for that recording, so. Has the best Doctor Who villain of all time as sort of the main character. You can guess who that is. <laughs> all of our fans are thinking, what, the master? The Rani? You're not even close, dude. <laughs> You're like 10 years off. <laughs> so uh, Travis escapes because Lorena... Tra- Avon, Avon opens a, a room and Lorena like attacks him from behind. So Travis throws his cloak on top of the two of them and then he runs off. And Avon's like, damn. And then he like sees all the people in the room and Lorena's like, yeah, but they're trying to kill me. And he's like, yeah, but they're dead. And she's like, no, but like they're in here. But, like, they're also out there trying to kill me. And Avon's like, ah, I understand exactly what's going on now. (laughs) (laughs) Except he actually does. (laughs) Well, so, because one of them runs up, and then we see... This was kind of terrifying, to be honest. Avon shoots him, and we see, like, 
Yeah, there's blood, blood splatter splattered all over the walls. And I'm like, we've never seen blood splatter when like they shoot someone from the liberated guns. And like, God, this is getting violent. Yeah, I, this was really strange because this is the first time the liberator guns have caused that much damage. You know, normally you just see them shoot someone, and it looks like they just fall down with no physical harm done to them. Well, also in this story, we get the liberator gun sound effect sounds like a cap gun or like an actual like pistol. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Like when Avon kills Travis, it sounds just like a pistol shot. Well, Chris Boucher and Paul Darrow were big Western fans. Maybe Avon <laughs> modded his liberated gun to sound like a pistol. Because I can, he's, he holds it like six shooter in yep. the story too. Yeah, he always does that. It's, it's nothing new or out of the ordinary. And like, like we mentioned before, once you notice that he holds it like that, there's no unnoticing it. Unfortunately, <laughs> never unsee that. Yeah, so they go to investigate this dude that Avon just shot, and he, like, transforms into, like... Stop. What looks like a pile of rotting flesh. Yeah, like a green blob. Yep. And Avon's like, that's kind of weird. Doesn't really make any other comment about it, though. (laughs) Lorena says that they're... The enemy... She, she, She... Yeah, she basically says that they're the enemy, and Avon's like, good. They'd be really hard to love if they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently all the people on the Star One were like, you know, I guess kind of like how they hypnotized Blake into that fake story and, and you know, like came back in voice from the past. Apparently the hypnotherapists or hypnopsychologists, they like programmed all the people on Star One where if they like tried to harm Star One or tried to contact anybody off of Star One or tried to even get off of star one they would just go insane which is yeah, why like or, which is why like lorena is like really weirded out by the fact that they're like actively sabotaging the systems without going insane which is how she kind of figured out that like they're not I her friends i didn't think it was or part go, of how she figured that out I, yeah i think you read about that i didn't think it was going insane i thought it was just they were like unable to well serverland serverland when she explains it to durkin says if they tried they would just go completely insane oh, all right and durkin's like how do you know that and he's like and so like the hypno psychologist has spent a lot of time convincing <laughs> my highest officers of the fact so sure anyway travis i think appears before the travis does what he should have done in every one of his other appearances he just oh, walks right. into the room and shoots <laughs> blake in the back yep <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, and it really works. Blake is down for the count for the rest of this episode, pretty much. He comes to. He should in a little be bit. dead. Travis thinks he's dead. Yeah, he he's he's knocked out. He's slumped over in a corner. Turns out Travis's gun arm isn't as effective as he thought it was, or he just completely misses because like, Blake survives this point blank shot well, from Travis's arm. I think he shoots. He yeah, he doesn't hit Blake like straight on in the heart or anything. It's he hits but it's, him left it's, side of the body. Yeah, it's it's enough to knock him out. Then the guy's like, "What?" And he's like, "I'm Travis." And the guy's like, "Oh." I see the eye patch, and he's like, that guy's name was Blake. But then <laughs> then Avon busts in, well, Blake, starts gunning some fools down. Well, and, and Blake shoots Travis. He he sort of comes to for a second and shoots Travis, and travels, Travis stumbles over. But mm-hmm. then Avon is the one. Avon actually you know, shoots Travis basically point blank, and Travis falls like Emperor and Darth Maul style into the abyss. Well, Darth Maul survives that fall. Yeah, he does. Canon confirmed. Yep. He survived in the old canon too, I think. Yeah, I think so. In both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so But it looks it, it looks cool. It's actually the image that the Blake Seven Wiki uses for this episode. He falls into like this swirling green abyss with like lightning coming out of it. And, and that's not really, a really weird cackling scream. They never explain like what this thing is or what it's doing there. It's just, just got it's this like chasm. Vortex. They're just got a chasm like in the control room. It's, <laughs> it was cool though. It was done visually really well, and like I don't know, I just find that to be a fitting end for Travis. Him just falling like hundreds or dozens. I mean, of it's feet. like it's like really Sherlock because. It, Moriarty dies when Sherlock throws him off of a waterfall and he falls down a long chasm and dies. It's also very Star Wars, which is like, you know, as we were saying in the beginning of this episode, a pretty direct influence on series two, at least. I mean, yes, but the only Star Wars that's added at this point is New Hope, and that doesn't oh, right. happen in yeah, New Hope. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, you're right. So... Oh, yeah. 
in some ways, it could be that Star Wars is just very Blake 7. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. But it is like, you know, very Sherlock. I mean, Travis was clearly designed to be the Moriarty to Blake's Sherlock. And this end is like straight out of... Uh, what is that story called now? I think it's called The Final Problem. Where Moriarty and... and at first, Moriarty and Sherlock go tumbling off the waterfall, but then Sherlock later reveals in the dumbest way possible that he escaped by putting his shoes on backwards and walking in, the, in his footsteps away from the falls. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so, never read that one. <laughs> I mean, that's like... Conan Doyle only explains how Sherlock survived because if he didn't, people would be like, how did Sherlock survive? Well, he also tried to make it very... So regardless of whether you know you think that's dumb or not, him putting his shoes on backwards and walking backwards or whatever, I think Conan Doyle's opinion on it was like he wanted to make it as stupid as, or as what as stupid as he could, like at least in terms of what he thought was stupid, mm-hmm. because he didn't want to bring Sherlock back. And there was so much like fan outcry that he was forced to. Or well, it's because all of his other works were selling really poorly, and he realized <laughs> if he wanted to make money, he was going to have to bring Sherlock back. <laughs> Because he realized people want Sherlock. And still do, apparently. He's a good character, I think. Nah, I don't know. I think he is. In the original books, he is, for sure. In the nah, original stories. I don't know. I think so. I've I read mean, the Watson's first, I read definitely the novels. a better character. I've read the, no- the two novels and like a bunch of the other ones, but... There's three novels. Well, I wrote, there's two, like, that originally, there's the two original ones, and there's a bunch of short stories, and there's, like, another novel somewhere in there. I read the, like, original two. Yeah, there's The Sign of Four. There's, um, The two original novels are, like, not really mysteries, though. They're more, like, thrillers, kind of. Yeah, there's The Sign of Four. I don't remember what they're called. There's, like, The Valley of Death, I think it is. I don't remember what the second one was called. And then there's Hound of the Boscovilles. There's three novels. Yeah, but I think it was he originally wrote two, and then he wrote a bunch of the short stories, which are more famous. And then he yeah, wrote the Hound, another. The Hound novel. of the Boscovilles he wrote after he killed off Sherlock, but before he brought him back, and just yeah. like it, Sherlock basically doesn't feature in Hound of the Boscovilles at all. Watson does all the investigating. Sherlock just shows up at the end to claim credit. <laughs> Why did he have to bring Sherlock back though? Couldn't he just write more and be like, "Yeah, this was set before he died." I guess because people didn't like the fact that Sherlock was dead. Right. Well, so you you have to remember that. Like, when Sherlock... This is, like, a big digression. Oh, well. When Sherlock Holmes was being <laughs> written and published, like, that was that was the serialized form of entertainment like TV is today. Like, Sherlock Holmes was published serialized month by month in the magazine. Yeah, I mean... So, Sherlock being dead was, like... In terms of that, that meant it was done because it's a very serialized storytelling. Well, I mean, Han's dead and they brought back, you know, brought him back for the Han Solo movie. Yeah, but see, but nowadays is more of an accepted, like, oh, you can go back and do things before. But, like, when you get the stories month to month and then he dies, that's it. That's the end. Like, that, I mean, I, I mean, see where uh, you're think about from. Think about TV. If they kill off a character on TV, they never go back and do episodes set before the character was killed off, right? They typically just move on. And then if they want the character to come back, they'll, like, do somebody will have like a memory like his his son shows up or his cousin or his version from another universe or they like just retcon his death completely they never go back and set episodes before he was dead um, but I mean I don't know how common this is but I know it's done where later seasons will will be like set before another season I have never seen that done I have on in anime yeah in anime but but uh, going back to like serialized stuff in like the 1800s and early 1900s, I see where you're coming from with that. And generally you're right, but that's not always the case. Like Tale of Two Cities, I know is one specific example, and I know there's actually a bunch more too, where they do go back in time. They have an entire story and then it'll literally be in the narration. And now to go back to when this was occurring, here's this that's also occurring. So it's it's I mean- definitely something that's done. I guess, but it's not like they ever killed off a character and they're like, just kidding, we're going back to before the character was dead. Right? Yeah, that, that's why I also see where you're coming from on that. Like, it's like in those cases, it's like a Although, separate parallel story that's being told that takes place at the same time. It's never like they go back. It's never like Ocean's Eleven where they go back and they reveal the big heist to you and they reveal all these things that happened. No, they do go back. It's not like a simultaneous thing. They do like, mm-hmm. and again, I'm referring to Tale of Two Cities because that's the one I remember the best. But they do go back in time in that. 
<laughs> I guess. But I don't know. I just I think the point was that nobody would have accepted what? that for Sherlock anyway. It was also like people considered Sherlock like a an actual person. So it was like if he's dead, he's dead. Like they published an obituary for Sherlock Holmes. So. Yeah, that's because there's. This is also uh, Hero again worship. a massive digression. No, like a massive digression, and this is something I really have a problem with. Where people, and this started with like individualism in in text, but like people, I think he started with Rousseau or something, but like people don't see text as like a textual event anymore. They see it mm-hmm. as like something real and like there's always that rhetoric too like oh it's not realistic and what people are saying when they say it's not realistic is they're saying it's bad mm-hmm. which i don't know if i like because like you read stuff from before like rousseau i guess before like the mid 1700s and there's not this worship or there's not this like desire for things in a text to like be really realistic and stuff like that mm-hmm and there's a, an acknowledgement also that it's a text and like post postmodernism as as is inspired by post structuralism is definitely bringing that back a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That's all I wanted to say. I have problems with that too also. Oh boy. Anyway, I have problems with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I Anyway, yeah. what were we even talking about? Well, I just wanted oh, like, to Travis mention that Travis falling down the vortex was like straight out of Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock kills his nemesis by throwing him off a cliff, basically. Except in this case, Avon kills him. So, you know, what's up with that? Blake is like, yeah, yo, we I can't mean, destroy Star 1. Turns out there's aliens invading, and if we destroy Star 1, they'll just get straight through. Yeah. I mean, would, would you have, just to dwell on this for another minute, would you have preferred if Blake killed Travis? Because I think I would have. Yeah, I would have. It would have been, it would have, I mean... Closure is a weird word to use here, but it would have brought closure, I think, to the Blake and Travis story. Because the whole thing between Blake and Travis was that they were getting more and more cavalier and reckless in their behavior, and Travis was getting more and more set on killing Blake. Like, his only purpose in life was to kill Blake. And that just culminates in him, like, just running into the room and shooting Blake first thing he does. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what he should have done a season ago, but anyway... (laughs) And then, like, the ending is that Avon is the one who ends it all, like... I don't know. It just feel, Thanks, it feels Chris. like it feels like Avon has butted into something that wasn't his business almost. I mean, then again, it kind of plays into Avon's character. He just wants to be free of this whole thing and he wants to be free of Blake. So he's not going to give Blake any more chances to let Travis get away. He's just like, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. I think there's definitely going to be more to say about this next week, but there's also, this is sort of a team effort from, from Blake and Avon too, is one way to think about it because Travis, Travis staggers because Blake shot him, and that gives mm-hmm. Avon the opportunity to run in and, mm-hmm. and shoot him, and he falls over. Yeah. Well, and, he, and Blake when Blake and kills him, somewhat when, reconcile at the end of this. When too. Blake shoots him, he actually falls over on the floor, and then when they're tending to Blake, Blake says, Is Travis dead? And then Avon t- turns around to check, and Travis oh, is standing yeah, yeah, there, yeah, and then right. he shoots him. Yeah, that's not true then. You're right about that. So that's why I feel like when Blake shot him, he could have just stumbled into the chasm and, and died. Yeah, I agree with that probably would have preferred that as well but oh well avon killing him is uh, is all right with me as well it's fine it's just not as fine as it could be yeah just puts more of the focus on avon than blake and especially when the story has been building up so much to this massive confrontation between these two titans almost so to speak uh to have it end with avon just coming in and being like what's up my dudes <laughs> it's avon trickster it's god avon. loki <laughs> Trickster God Kurevon coming to mess with your stuff. I don't know. Anyway, they have to go take all the charges off. So Avon and Callie have this mad dash to remember where they put all the charges. And then Blake reveals that he put an extra charge in one of the rooms. Right. Which we actually saw him putting that on there when he was talking to the, yeah. the leader guy. So Lorena goes to get it, and then she gets cornered by all the other people, but then the charge blows up in her hand and kills them all. Yep. and We see Callie, this awesome explosion when yeah. Callie chucks all the other charges off this cliff. Right, they're really rushing to get these things out, Callie and Avon, that is. So she runs up the side and, of the rock quarry that this is set in. Yeah, and you know, they're, they're small charges, so you don't think they're going to do that much damage, you know, enough to destroy 
Star 1 Beyond Repair, but you don't think they're going to cause that huge of an explosion. But, you know, you can really see why they're rushing because chuck, she chucks them off the side of the cliff and it's this massive, huge explosion. So, yeah, there you go. Basically the best explosion on Blake 7 so far. We had a lot of explosions in this episode because we also had the ships blow up when they crashed into each other. Yeah, well, meanwhile, out in space, Jenna and Villa are picking up on the scanners, you know, the ships coming from outside of the galaxy. Yeah. And there's this, you get a couple shots of it. There's this huge fleet, and I really like this. All the ships looked different from one another. One to the next one, no two looked the same. Well, it's, I guess it's supposed to be like there's a, a, a coalition. coalition of some yeah, sort that's what I thought coming well. through on the other side. Like this thing that's much larger than the Federation. Mm-hmm. This alliance of like multiple different alien species, alien races. Right. I mean, that's not confirmed, so. Well, probably not until next week. Although, if I'm being honest, I'm imagining them skipping ahead six months and they're like, man, that really that battle was really great, guys. <laughs> Can't believe we survived that. That Can't was intense. <laughs> Can't believe we survived that battle. <clears throat> or they'll do like... What... <laughs> I'm just thinking what NCIS did the one season, like one of the team members gets captured by this terror cell and they start the next season, like they jump ahead six months and one of the other team members has been captured by the same terror cell and they tell the whole story of the past six months in flashbacks by the guy getting interrogated. And he's like, so here's what happened over the past six months. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's achieved because I haven't watched it, obviously, but like I tend to like stuff like that where you go you know, into the next season or whatever. And I think video games actually do this more than TV or movies ever do. But like you go into the next one and it's something totally different. And then like it's slowly revealed that it's actually related to the, what went on in the Actually worked out pretty well in NCIS because there's this double cliffhanger because the previous season ends with this cliffhanger that Z has been captured by these terrorists. And then the next season you see the same interrogation room and there's someone with a bag over their head in the first scene. And you think they're going to, like, take the bag off and be Ziva and they take the bag off. And it's not Ziva. It's the other member of the team. You're like, well, yeah. what the hell happened? Yeah, I tend to like stuff like that. They actually achieved it pretty well there. I don't know if Blake 7 would achieve it nearly as well. Yeah, I don't know. But then... They didn't even try in between Series A and B, so... Avon, Callie, and... Not, not that you have to try, but... They, like, they kind of just cut to them on the ship and Avon's like, we got we to gotta fight them. And then Jenna and Callie are like, we could just leave. We could just leave. We're not, you're not Blake. You don't have to like stand up for the Federation. And Avon's like, no, we have to. Until the Federation gets you, we have to try to hold them off. Someone, I think it's Callie, says why. And he's like, why not? <laughs> and Blake stu- stutters. Stumbles. Stumbles. That's the word I'm looking for. Staggers is actually the other word I was also looking for. <laughs> Under the bridge. And Avon's like, what, don't you trust me? And Blake's like, okay, I'll just go back to the medical bay. Well, and by the way, Avon, I've always trusted you. Mm, and Avon, mm. Avon has this weird look on his face <laughs> like he doesn't believe Blake, but he wants to believe Blake. And also a look of like, man, if he actually trusted me now, I feel kind of shitty for all the things I did to him. Avon is, this is a far cry. Blake and Avon have honestly switched positions totally from like Spacefall the way, or the way back. The way back. Well, Avon wasn't in Spacefall, yeah. but the way back. Where like Avon is actually this... no, you, no. Avon was in Spaceball. The way back was the first episode. You right? Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, you know what I meant. But yeah, Avon is introduced as like this sort of I don't know robotic guy, whereas Blake is like this guy you can like really rally behind. He has like this cause or whatever. And like now, and I can see why. Um, oh, it's Blake Seven in character says said this on their podcast. Uh, that Avon is like, you know, a character that the audience can like really sympathize with and stuff like that. And back when I listened to them first say that, I didn't get it. I didn't agree. Mm-hmm. But like now that situation's almost completely reversed where Blake is kind of this manipulative guy and Avon is like the one who like kind of really wants to believe that mm-hmm. Blake always trusted him. I mean, it's definitely like Blake kind of pulled the wool over everybody's eyes, so <laughs> to speak. And then as you know, once Gan died, everybody started realizing, like, Blake actually doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> and that Blake actually, like, is really just driven by his hatred of the Federation. And he's not actually, like, really thinking any of this through. They all just follow him because, like, I guess none of them have anywhere else to go. <laughs> and it's better than being dead, I suppose. But, like, by the end of the season, everyone kind of realizes that Avon and Villa, I guess, who is always the voice of reason, like, <laughs> actually have it right, like... Maybe we shouldn't be following Blake to the literal end of the world. Like, this is the end of the the galaxy here. This is the edge of the galaxy. Yep. 
There's also, I mean, Blake, the reason why they try and take off the charges is because they're not going to be able to get out of the base in time. At least Blake won't. Well, but well like, that's also, also, but Blake tells them, like, if we destroy Star 1, there's no defense for the right, aliens that have invaded. Right, so in some ways, he still wants, like, control. I mean, I guess. Potentially. potentially. It's the fear of the unknown versus the fear of the known, really. you Blake knows the Federation. Blake doesn't know the the enemies on the other side. So sure. if if he he knows the Federation, he knows how to fight the Federation. He has no idea what's coming through the, the gap, basically. Yeah, sure, sure. Sure. I agree with that. And and there's also this idea, possibly, that you know not destroying it is gonna leave options open to him. That I mean, yeah. To and, and like also destroying it leaves a power over. vacuum as right. well. Which there already seems to be a power vacuum emerging that also seems to be like quickly filling with like Servaline and stuff like that. Servaline believes the message they get from the Liberator just straight up. She just straight believes it. As soon as she gets it, she says, all right, divert all ships to that location. And they're like, what, you believe it? And she's like, yes, I do. Yeah, makes sense to me. And there's this cool little scene where they're all like reporting into Servaline. The one guy's like, attack squad Delta or whatever it is, going to arrive three hours. And the other one's like, attack squad Charlie arriving two and a half hours. So kind of interesting okay it's it's you know when you really think about it the scene the final scene is like really tropey it's like it's 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 basically well, the alamo it's 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 legitimately the alamo they're basically just trying to hold out till pe- the reinforcements arrive well rip the people at the alamo nobody survived the alamo i think all right this is also another major problem i have <laughs> oh god but when you when you say tropes i think you mean cliche yeah because tropes Every story has tropes. Tropes are just like the components of a story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. People use that word wrong all the time. And that's also why I massively hate, like, the... Not hate... Yeah, I guess I'll say I hate TV tropes. Garbage website. and uh, The community there is also complete garbage. Well, I don't go to the community. I just go there for the fun tropes. Yeah, but they're not actually tropes. Some of them are tropes. Not all they're, of them. They're, what they're calling tropes are... I mean, the website, it should be called TV cliches, not TV tropes. But TV tropes rolls off but the like, tongue But like, a cliche is always a trope, but a trope isn't always a cliche. TV tropes does sound better, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Point proven. Yeah, but anyway, it's like really cliche. It's, like I said, it's the Alamo. It's been done in like every big war series, TV show. They do it on NCIS. They do it on Law and Order sometimes, you know. It's the small, tiny group is facing off against a much larger group. They're being out. They did it on person of interest, even. And they're just, they're just trying to hold out till reinforcements arrive, basically. I mean, like I said, even historically, it's, it's basically yeah. the Alamo. Nobody survived the Alamo. I suspect people are going to survive this battle. Because <laughs> there's uh, still two more seasons to get yeah, through. Yeah, we wouldn't have a TV show. <laughs> but it ends on Avon saying fire and pressing a button. It ends on the shot of him pushing the button, which I thought was dumb. I thought they could have just ended it on him saying fire and then just end there. Oh, I don't care one way or the other. Well, because they had this cheesy freeze frame effect on him pushing the button, which whatever, it's Black 7. I liked it. I it thought it was, me, it was a better season. For, well, I don't know if actually I would say it was better than I don't think Orac. it was better. Than Orac? I think, it, I I think, think the episode I think as a whole was better than Orac. That's what I was going to say. I think the episode as a whole is a better. I think this cliffhanger is not i better. i do think it's better because orac is just like wait there's something on the scanner and then they blow up whereas this there's like a known threat coming at them and it's something that they wouldn't be able to really take on you know they're going but to I, their deaths but i prefer the mystery of orac where orac is like orac shows them the liberator blowing up and they're like we're gonna blow up soon and that's how it ends like i prefer the mystery of like what's going to happen to the Liberator, how are they going to get out of that? Whereas this one, it's like they're fighting off against this big force. You can kind of already predict that either they're, they're going to cheese their way out of it somehow. Yeah, they're going to cheese their way out of it. <laughs> one, there's like three possible options that could happen here, like three distinct possibilities. One, they cheese their way out of it. Two, they just leave. They just start. They just run away. Or three, the Federation shows up and saves them. Right? Those are kind of the three options here. Or they do something else on the next episode and never bring it up. Uh, well, uh, redemption. <laughs> it's like the worst of the four options but I just prefer the mystery because I think a Redem- se- I think a season finale should have some sort of mystery to bring you to 
bring you back in, right? Sure, this is kind of like, you know, the classic Doctor Who ending where it's like, the Doctor's going to die. How's yeah, he going to get out of it? Exactly. But, but they don't do it like every single week on Blake 7, which is why I'm more okay with it here. Mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, the, these ships are a massive threat, which is why I like it a little bit more than I tend to do. Yeah, but it always, almost feels like, I don't know this, I could skip Aftermath and just start next season and I'd be okay. I could just piece together mm -hmm. how they get out of it. Whereas like after Orac, I felt like if I didn't watch Redemption, I wouldn't know how they were going to get out of it. Well, we'll have to see what happens, I guess. I guess. I really liked this episode. One of the best in a while. One and, of the best uh, in a while. You know, maybe that uh, brings us into our ratings. So uh, yeah. do you want to, you know, this is the last time we're going to be doing ratings because we uh, mm -hmm. we're trying to do something different, you know, at right. the end of each episode for every different season of mm -hmm. Lake 7. So this one, this time was ratings. So there's something f new and fun next week for Series C. So, you know, in a... I've gone first most of the time, so in a mm -hmm. break from tradition, why don't you go first for this last one? All right, yeah, I'll take the honors for the for the final for the final ranking, all I right. guess. All right. All right. So my ranking is uh, the greatest shot in all of Blake Seven, which is in this Blake episode. Eyes. No, <laughs> it's in this episode. There's a shot of the Liberator flying past uh, the the Star One, and everything is like the planet and the star is kind of tinted orange and the liberator itself is tinted orange from the light from the star and it flies past and i i even made a note i wrote oh wow that's cool i also <laughs> all apparently right. all right i also apparently wrote blood wtf for later on when the blood yeah. happens when avon shoots the guy but yeah anyway I that too. this shot was i think just basically the epitome of good shots it had everything that i wanted it was Really nice to look at. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was well put together. It was a really good shot of the Liberator model, which is really good. And like this episode, just really good, really enjoyable, really good to look at. Yeah, and fun. I, yep. I thought this episode was really good as well, so I rated a five out of five. <laughs> anyway, somehow I knew you were gonna rank it like that <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> Probably because I just thought of that like 40 minutes ago. So. <laughs> five out of five. Yeah, well, I kind of feel like we're going to have more to say on this episode next week when we yeah. see how it's resolved, which I think is the same thing we did with ORAC. I think a lot of the stuff we wanted to say about ORAC, we kind of held over until we watched Redemption. Yep. Because it is kind of like, what's the concluding part going to be? So it's I some, literally called Aftermath. Yeah. So. I have some things that I want to say about the Federation, but I'm going to also hold them off till next week because I want to see what happens first with how they resolve this and what happens with the invasion force. And yeah, so Travis is dead. The show is basically completely changed now. Yeah, you knew, I mean, I knew Travis was going to die for quite mm -hmm. a while. I think I learned, spoiled that near the beginning of series two, series B, I mean. Yeah, it's about when I, spo I spoiled it when I found out that Brian Croucher took over the role because, it, because Brian Croucher was only credited for series B as Travis, so I figured he was going to die probably at the end of the season. And then I think about halfway through the season, it was like, oh yeah, Travis dies in Star 1. And I'm like, damn it. Um, but I yeah, knew he I, didn't make it out of Series B. I, I wonder if like back in the day, people thought he was dead here. Because you see him fall Absolutely into this vortex. Not. Like, I don't know. He, It's not like totally confirmed that he dies. I mean, Avon straight up says, yeah, he's dead now. Which I guess is supposed to be like, to put it to rest, he's dead. I am almost certain they'll bring up Travis in name again at some point next uh, yeah, season to probably. confirm that he's dead. Probably, yeah. So, I mean, but I can just imagine watching this episode and meeting up with your buddies like at the bar and like, do you really think Travis is dead? I don't <laughs> think Travis is dead. Placing your bets for the next season? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's weird, but people do place bets on TV shows. Like before they announced who the 13th Doctor was going to be, there was a lot of places accepting bets for like, what actor or actress you thought was going to take over the role. That's why a lot of people thought it was going to be Chris Marshall because the, the bookies were like, yeah, Chris Marshall is going to be Chris Marshall. Everybody's placing bets on Chris Marshall. And then it was like, oh, it's Jodie Whittaker. And everyone's like, what? Yeah, but this, I don't know too much about this, so I probably shouldn't even bring it up, but it's not like actual probability where like the more people who who think that it's going to happen, like the more likely it is to happen or something like that. I don't really no, know yeah, much no, about it. Was it. Like, it was like a fallacy because when the more people who bet a certain way then the odds will go the odds are going to go up because then they have to pay you out less if it turns out to be true so i mean this is how it works with golf betting anyway the more the more people who bet on it 
the, they basically raise the odds because more people think that they're going to win, but that doesn't increase the probability of it being true. It just changes the odds. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, the, the, just, odd, the just... odds are like five to one. It's going to be Chris Marshall." But that's the odds are not like a measure of probability. At least in this case, the odds oh, are can, not a measure yeah. of probability. It's because you... so many people bet on it, the odds went like way, way. Yeah, you can uh, really like use that to mess with people. Like the odds are five to one. Bet yeah. this way, and then like mm-hmm. they get screwed over because of that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. But we don't have to bet. We know he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's what happens when you watch, watch a show, show forty years, years later. On. We got. Two emails this week, both of them from Sergeant Trano, both, I think, within like a couple hours of each other after we had already recorded the bumper for the Keeper episode. So, you know, one of these emails is about the Keeper, which was last week, which should the email should have gone in that episode, but we weren't able to get into that episode. And there's also an email about Star One. So we're just going to go for both of them in this episode uh, right now, I think. So... Keep episodes rather short. Hey guys, I'll be interested to hear what you think of this one. It's what I would term the crap before the storm. I found this episode to be mostly a dull and tedious affair. Jenna and Villa get captured by a Ren fair. Avon thinks he got Travis, but did any of us believe that for even a second? Mm-hmm. No, because like we said, you smash cut straight to Travis talking <laughs> with, with uh, Gola, I think. The best thing about this episode might be Travis's flip phone, which is amazing. Goes well with his high belt. I don't remember that, actually. I don't remember it either. In my opinion, this episode isn't even so bad. It's good. It's just there. Looking forward to the next one, though. Sergeant Trano, Station 7, The Door. I don't really have much to say on uh, The Keeper since our episode's already gone out on that. So our thoughts yeah. are already out there. I mean, we obviously liked it. Yeah, we we liked it. We liked a lot of the things they did with the whole like space Viking culture thing that was going on. Yeah, I think maybe looking back, maybe we liked the potential of it more than what it actually delivered. Potentially. Maybe, maybe going back and watching it again, it wouldn't be as good of an episode. Uh, maybe. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think I just liked Keeper on its own, in my opinion. I liked how, anyway. to me, it was a, sort of a throwback to Series A. It felt more like a Series A episode, which I appreciated, you know, especially since now that we've already started watching Series C mm-hmm. by the time we're recording this. And especially see, seeing the different direction Series C is, is going, I uh, appreciated, like, Sort of a series A slash B style episode right there at the end before the finale. Right. Or a series A style episode, I guess. Yeah. No, I agree with that pretty much. And the Star 1 one is rather lengthy, so let's get into it. Hey guys, so we finally made it to Star 1. As you may recall, this is one of the ones I mentioned liking so much it was a runner-up for what episode I would join you for. Of course, it's most famous for the cliffhanger at the end. I don't think any of us will ever forget that moment where Blake stares into the camera and says, Resistance is futile, number one, and Avon responds with, Mr. Restyle, fire. Great stuff. That's a reference to the best of both worlds from Star Trek The Next Generation, which I don't actually remember if I mentioned in this episode, in the Star 1 episode. But I remember that I wanted to mention it because, yeah, the cliffhanger at the end actually reminded me a lot of that one from Best of Both Worlds because they both end with the second in command, quote unquote, of the ship taking command and ordering to fire uh, against basically insurmountable odds. And even like the framing and the and the the wording of everything is like really similar. So I I wanted to mention it last week, and if I forgot to mention it, I'm mentioning it now. So thanks for bringing it up, Drano, and reminding me. But let's start at the beginning. I think there's a lesson to be learned from the first scene: never trust smart cars, computers, never make mistakes. My ass. The drive from the crashing ship nukes Calor City, which is a location from the Doctor episode Robots of Death, and indicated that Doctor Who and Blake Seven share a universe. I didn't actually notice yeah, that. Yeah, I all. did not notice that. <laughs> I think. Chris Bouch has written some stuff set in Caldor City that has characters from both Blake 7 and Doctor Who. So I think in Expanded Universe stuff, Chris Bouch has already linked the universes together. And Terry Nation wanted to use the Daleks. I think we mentioned that in this episode and got a hard no from the producers of the show on that aspect. So Yeah, if you couldn't tell, we're recording this response to this email after mm-hmm. the rest of the episode. Right. So this is us from a week in the future. <laughs> a week in the future. What you just heard five minutes ago so if no one knows where star one is at all how did that tech crew get there i think serverland explains that they were put there when they built star one right pretty great avon speech blake says you really do hate me don't you what do you guys think does avon hate blake no i don't think so nope we talk about this more next week for you guys that avon is definitely putting up a bit of a wall Uh, and we've talked about it before i think avon just pretends not to care about everybody when really he does care about everybody probably maybe even immensely i think by the end of series b he's he he cares more about the, the rest of the crew than Blake even does. Yeah. No, and I think by the end of Series B, a lot of his challenges are he wants to do the best for what the crew is doing, and he's realized that Blake has gone a little bit off the deep end, so yeah. he's trying to push Blake back towards a little bit more of a saner course of action. 
And I think maybe Blake is just so paranoid at that point that he interprets that as as hate from Avon. Again, maybe lending credence to my theory that we just see all the characters as Blake portrays them. <laughs> maybe, but how does that theory hold up now that no, Blake is gone? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, it can't hold up after Blake is gone. Probably. I don't know. I'd have to. Well, I kind of forgot that theory like weeks ago. So. Well, I guess we can <laughs> talk about it more upcoming in Series C. Callie wonders if they're doing the right thing by destroying Star One. What do you guys think? Uh, in terms of the show, yeah, they have to destroy Star One because they have to. They've kind of overdone the Federation at this point. They got to put an end to it. In terms of like, is it morally correct to destroy Star One? They haven't really shown us that the Federation is worthy of being completely wiped out. Also, like Blake wants to do. You have to realize too, like. If they don't destroy it, the aliens will. Like, the Andromedans are about to destroy it anyway. And they do end up destroying it. Spoilers, they end up destroying it in the war that The war of indeterminate length. (laughs) Length. Is that what we're (laughs) going to call it now? The first scene with Lorena and the rest of Star 1 crew was pretty well done. First time I saw it, wasn't sure if she was crazy or not at first. And Serverland is staging a coup. Cool callback to the Liberator's detector shield. Good use yeah. of Callie's telepathy. Yeah, the, that thing you bring up with Lorena is actually pretty interesting because Blake 7 has done the whole paranoia shtick before, right? Where they right. try and make Blake believe that, you know, he just thought these things were true and that he actually did molest the children and stuff. Yeah. And, and again here, maybe like they try and make Lorena think that she's just crazy. And, you know, in every case, it's pretty much been, no, they weren't crazy. You're actually just manipulating them. But it would be interesting to see Blake 7 do... Something with a act- mm-hmm. with an actually paranoid character. Yeah. And I don't think we've gotten hints at it before. I mean, Travis was hinted to be pretty paranoid by the end of it. Like, he hated humanity. In this episode, he wants to just wipe humanity out. <laughs> nice to establish that while Orak can work the teleport, he isn't as quick with it as a human operator. Helps explain why they don't just have Orak operate the teleport all the time. Yeah, that actually is a good point. I remember asking why they don't have Orak just operate the teleport all the time a couple of weeks ago when they had Orak work the <laughs> teleport. So that I think they could go to, I think it was in the one where they went down to Space City, which the name is escaping me right now. Yeah, I forgot what that one's. Gambit. Gambit, you're right. Blake plays it pretty clever with the aliens, deducing that they think he's Travis. Brains, but no heart. Now talk or scream, Travis, the choice is yours. Such sweet, cold smack talk from Avon. <laughs> And no silly monologuing from Travis. The instant he spots Blake, he shoots him without saying a word. I think we mentioned that. I think we were like, that's what Travis should have done like a season ago. What Blake should have done a season ago. (laughs) And Avon gets gets the Travis kill, flushing Travis number two down the antimatter toilet. Yeah, we had a a long, lengthy discussion about that already. So I don't think we want to go into it any more than we already did. No, Um, I mean, it was cool though. I guess. (laughs) It was a pretty fancy special effect they had. Jenna calls Serverland for help, and Serverland does not bullshit around. All in. Avon and Blake's final moments together before the battle. Avon keeping his word to hold off the alien fleet. All great stuff. Yeah, I agree. Terry Nation originally wanted the invaders to be Daleks instead of Andromedans, but David Mullen and Chris Boucher vetoed it. It might have also worked nicely to have the invaders be the system for redemption. Uh, maybe. Kind of worked. Were, the system, worked. Were, system weren't even that far out, though. They yeah, weren't no, even as far as Star yeah. 1. The system were in the Milky Way. At least that was the implication. Uh, especially since uh, Avon says that the intergalactic drive hasn't been invented, but it must have if they're like trying to block a fleet from Andromeda from invading the Milky Way. The actual battle between the Liberator and the alien fleet is covered in much greater detail with a Blake 7 audio drama Warship recorded in 2013. And featuring most of the original cast returning to the roles might All be right. interesting for you guys to cover it. Maybe. We'll have to listen to that to find out how long the war was. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> We've been discussing whether or not we want to artificially extend the lifespan of Zenith by listening to the audios. And this, the, 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 the jury's still out. The jury's still out. We, we, we're we going to do the 40th anniversary yeah. audio for sure. Yep. Beyond that, we're not really sure. We might want to move on to some other podcast. All in all, a real cracking episode. IMO, one of the best of the series. It goes without saying, 7 out of 7. All the best, Sergeant Drano, Station 7, The Door. Yeah, thank you, Sergeant Drano. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Good thoughts in there. I think I agree with some of them, but I also disagree with... I agree with most of it. Some, I agree with most of it. Uh, and Still a lot like of, the Keeper, though. Yeah, yeah, me too. Still like the Keeper. And a lot of the things that you mentioned, we actually t- did touch upon in this episode, so I think uh, that'll be interesting 
you know, especially the thing about Avon killing Travis, we had, I remember, a rather lengthy discussion about whether that was... Yeah, pushing him into a washing machine. Or, or whether it would have been better to have Blake kill Travis. Yeah, we, we talked about that quite a bit, so... Thank you for emailing us. Always looking forward to your emails. Mr. Sergeant Drano. Oh, Mr. Sergeant. I don't know. Mr. Go overboard with yeah, the two titles good there. point. It's just better just stick to Sergeant Drano. Anyway, if you would like to email us, you can email us at thedoctordeckedvegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on the battle between the Liberator and the Androbinans. How long did it really take? <laughs> You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith of Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Check us on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're starting Series C with Aftermath. But until then, the end. <laughs>